Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's Book. And welcome back. This week, to forewarn you, this is going to be some uh, interesting chapters. Two of the three are primarily focused on chaos. So this actually has a little bit of a darker uh, darker tilt to it. I went through and I pre-edited these as well. So I'm kind of overrunning myself in uh, reading, which is exactly what I wanted. But it does grant me the ability to uh, see what I'm going to read. And honestly, I am going to need some hugs from my wife after this one, I think. I'm not trying to oversell this. I'm just letting, letting you know ahead of time. That said, welcome back. Thank you for coming back and listening to this podcast week after week. If this is your first week, let me just explain. This is me, Chris Pullman, reading my first book, Mystery and Deceit from Earth to Mars, otherwise known as Chaos's Beginning. That was my working title. I changed it. That's okay. Either way works. It is a serial podcast, so if you have not listened to any of the other podcasts in the series, I would highly suggest that you do so. They are available out on my website, www.narclaninc.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. They are available out there for direct download. You can download them as MP3 files. Otherwise, you can find me on iTunes uh, under podcasts. You can find me via your favorite podcast app on iPad, on Android, on whatever platform. I'm out there. You can search for either Chris Reed's book or by name, by my name. Either way, again, I would highly recommend you listen to the podcast in order. This it will be um, episode 15. And in this episode, we will be reading chapters 23, Chaos Recruiting, chapter 24, Immortal, in chapter 25, The Turning Tide of Desperation. Let's go ahead and jump right in with chapter 23, Chaos Recruiting. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey, rise and shine. Hello there, Ryan. What, what happened? Ryan asked. You're in what the industry refers to as a traffic accident. (laughs) Who are you? Ryan asked. Little old me? You can call me Chaos. I can't feel my legs, Ryan said. Yes, I know. When you crashed, there was a secondary trauma to your spinal cord. You're a paraplegic now. At least temporarily, (laughs) Chaos said, uncaring. Help me, man! Get me out of here! Ryan cried. See, I'd love to, but I think you'll be more receptive to what I'm about to say if I leave you there. (laughs) Wow, that other car is really burning up. See, I have a proposal for you. A job offer, if you will. 
I'm the head, or at least I soon will be, of a revolutionary organization that will span the globe. We have arms and technology known only to the TDF. Soon my people and I will rise up and take this world back from the traitors who weakened it. We will then form a new government, one built on strength and honor. I'm offering you a position of power and authority in this vision of the future. Along with the position, of course, comes the power of the TDF elite. A power, by the way, that would restore your legs to use. This is a limited time offer, though, Chaos said, looking sideways. Why? Ryan mumbled. Because fire's getting closer, my dear boy. <laughs> See, when I hit the car in front of you with my weapon, it sort of set that car on fire. <laughs> and now it's spreading. <laughs> Additionally, when your car hit that one, and then the telephone pole, your fuel tank ruptured, and judging by the rate at which your gas is seeping toward the other car, I would say you probably have two minutes to decide. Ooh, look! The fire is climbing into the other car's gas tank. Join me or not! What's your problem, man? Ryan pleaded. Get me out of here, he said, pushing out his car. Two things, Ryan. First, you're in no position to be demanding of anything. Second, more flies with honey than vinegar, <laughs> Chaos said, crouching down next to Ryan's head. You're insane, man, Ryan cried, his eyes wide with terror. No, I'm not! Chaos snapped, the flames lighting Chaos diabolically. They are insane. They are mad. Those at the head of the TDF, the government, they made me this way. He stood, looking over and past Ryan's wrecked car. Lovely day, isn't it? Dude! Fear played across Ryan's face. Chaos drank it in. Reconsidered yet? Chaos asked acidly. The other car exploded, sending fire and debris flying through the air. One piece slammed into the body that had been Adam's. Chaos didn't even acknowledge it had happened, moving not an inch as the flaming sheet metal simply wrapped around his form. Well came a muffled shout from within the flaming shroud. What are you, man? Ryan asked, panicked. I'm the Omega and the Alpha, Chaos said, standing enshrouded in the red-hot yet burning metal. I am the fin de siècle and the beginning of a new one. So again, he said in a calm yet muffled voice, Are you with me or not? The cherry-hot metal was cooling as Chaos peeled it off himself, holding it in his hands as flames yet licked it. I... I don't... Ryan whimpered, frantically pushing at his car. Maybe this will help speed your decision-making process, Chaos said, dropping the piece of metal. Flames shot along the seeping gas into the car's tank, making it explode, engulfing the car and Ryan in flames. Well, Chaos yelled over, over the inferno. Yes! God, yes! Ryan screeched in pain. Good, 
Chaos swept his arms wide, palms spread, clapping them back together forcefully. A strong wind blew over the car, blowing out the flames. Ryan knew he should be in extreme pain, but wasn't. You may be in sensory shock right now, Adam. Chaos said calmly, kneeling down beside the car. But I assure you, you'll feel this. He stood up. Ryan watched as Chaos's legs moved slightly. Suddenly the car rocked. A rending of metal cried out as pain shot through Ryan's body. <laughs> Ryan cried, residual pain still racking his body. He barely felt it as Chaos fully freed him from the wreck. There we go, he heard Chaos coo as a baby. He was vaguely aware that his now bare and burnt feet and legs were being dragged along the ground. He felt it through his bones. Okay, this is secluded enough, Chaos said as he squatted down next to Ryan. Now, what I'm going to do next is inject you with two substances. The first will feel like liquid fire in your veins. The second will feel like battery acid in your veins. Then I'm going to hit you with this. Chaos said, holding up a police-rated taser. At that point, it's going to feel like you're being frozen from the inside out. But don't worry. That's supposed to happen. Ryan tried to voice a protest but couldn't. In fact, he found all he could do was make subtle moaning sounds. Now, now, you're in deep shock from massive cutaneous burns and blood loss. But no worry, Chaos said, adding in a sickening southern drawl. Uncle Chaos is here to help. <laughs> With that, he jabbed a hypospray against Ryan's left arm. Instantly, the promised liquid fire spread away from the continuing injection down his arm and up into his chest. While it spread, he felt another hypospray smashed against the same arm. Worse pain shot into his arm, spreading just as rapidly through his body. Every cell seemed to scream in pain, but Ryan only managed a weak gurgle. His fresh burns forgotten, his body twisted on its own as if it, as it fought against the pain. Now the fun part, Chaos said, standing over him once more. Fire burning off your shirt removes a step for me, he added, aiming the taser at Ryan's chest. See you on the other side, Chaos said, laughing as he pulled the trigger. Sorry, had to take a moment. Back into the story. Waves of electricity now surged through Ryan, replacing the internal burning he had left. He had felt. With each wave, though, it felt as if his body were being quick frozen. His core, his pelvis, his chest, his arms and legs, all slowly turning into solid blocks of ice. A creeping cold entered Ryan's mouth, running down his windpipe and entering his lungs. He couldn't breathe! Then... As suddenly as it had begun, the feeling of ice stopped. Ryan opened his eyes, not realizing he had closed them. How do you feel now? Chaos asked, dropping the taser and pulling out what seemed to be a phone, punching buttons on it. What did you do to me, man? Ryan shouted, standing up and tearing the yet active electrodes off his chest. He froze, realizing what he had just done. So, much better then. Vitals look good too, see? Chaos said, turning the screen of the device to face Ryan. There is pulse, blood pressure, temperature, and a myriad of other vital statistics all overlaid on a human form on which gray lines seem to crawl along what would be a nervous system. 
The Nihilites are blocking your pain receptors right now, Chaos said as he opened palm slapped Ryan's face. Ryan didn't feel a thing. He raised his hands to look at them. They were horribly burned, but skin seemed to be crawling its way outward from his palms to cover the burns. What in the... Nanites! Fixing you! You're an nanitic now, just like any TDF elite. You will come to train with me. The skills you possess from your time in the field for the CIA will prove very useful to the new endeavor we will create together. Your wounds will heal, and it will be as if none of this ever happened, Chaos said. Ryan raised his eyes and looked at Chaos, square on, setting his jaw. And after what you just did to me? What if I refuse? Instantly, he dropped to his knees in pain. Doing eyes came, came a booming voice, cracking like thunder inside his skull. Do you want work for now? You so witness. Can't make Ryan's head snapped up in compliance. You had choice, R. Be pulled yet. Ice is made. As this rancus mitigation and Roberts in your questions, why should what if I don't too ever enter your Chaos hadn't physically spoken a word, but it had been him speaking. He grinned widely at Ryan, lowering his gaze to his device as it chirped. Suddenly that smile seemed welcoming and friendly. Ryan couldn't fathom why he would refuse to give Chaos help. After all, the man only sought after a better tomorrow. What was so wrong with that? That was chapter 23, Chaos Recruiting. I do apologize for having to take a break in the middle of that. The cold I had from last week is still nagging me a little bit. So, just a second more. And I think we'll be good. Okay. Chapter 24, Immortal. Done with your notes yet? Eric asked. Not quite, I replied. Sure you don't want some tea? I make it myself, Eric commented. Of course you do, I murmured as Eric again went into his kitchen. In completing some of my thoughts, I had begun to page through my notes. In only a few days, Eric had shared so much with me. My early disbelief could no longer stand in the light of day. After our sessions, not only would I go home and research the things Eric told me, but also had several of my colleagues helping and discreetly double-checking as I went. What Eric was sharing was accurate. He was Eric Pullman, the last leader of the TDF during its exile to Mars. Further yet, the history we were being fed by the Department of Censorship seemed more and more like propaganda. The advances of Eric, James, and Melinda Christopher, Adam Green, Meng, DeAndre, Claire, and Jessica allow us to live the way we do throughout the planets of the Terran Union. And as much as the TDF created chaos in his army, they stopped the Earth from falling to the control of that same crazed madman. There. Caught up. I said. So, what questions have you come up with now? Eric asked. Well, I do have one I've been meaning to ask. Are you immortal? I asked in reply. I mean, 
if you've lasted this long, why should I be? Eric completed the thought for me. Honestly, I don't know anymore. I've lived this long. Longer than any man ever should. What's what's the current record for oldest person? You did the article on her last year. She's 135 now, I said, though most of her prosthetic organs are failing. Her body's rejecting them. See, Eric said, even our bodies realize there should be a time limit to human existence. Mine seems to have forgotten that. But the way you walk, how you look, I said. All an act, Sonny. My current persona is this old, Eric said as he stood and shuffled to his shelf of plants. He turned round to face me, and suddenly before me was a man in his late twenties, looking as though he were attending a costume party. This is how I really look. His jaw was suddenly sharp and set, his chest puffed, his overall physique muscular and defined, his eyes green and sharp, and his gray hair now a deep black. Even his clothes seemed to have suddenly changed and, while out of style by centuries, looked fresh off the rack. Before me stood Eric Pullman from the photograph. By the gods, I murmured. I don't age, though the nanites allow me to make it look like I do. Sometimes I keep my face, sometimes I replace it with someone else's. This reality is in fact stranger to me than the one I've grown so used to in my own head. Existing out here as one person takes its toll constantly. But I don't die. I don't age. There's no end in it for me. If anything, Eric said as he came back to his chair, his hair and eyes fading with each step, his jaw slackening and his chest collapsing, his clothing changing to that which I was used to. I am an abomination of mankind. Eric, I began, recovering from the shock of the transformation I had seen before me. The changes I had witnessed previous days in Eric's eyes and voice alone had shocked me, but to see in front of me Eric Pullman as he was, and then to watch him age decades, it was bone-chilling. I don't know if I can ask you the questions that are flying through my head suddenly seem so inadequate and unimportant, don't they? Eric asked sympathetically. He betrayed no emotion. His face instead showed only a stoic determination. Yes, I managed. Very inadequate and wholly unimportant. I just... I managed. Shock was now setting in as my mind realized what this new revelation truly meant. Eric and all those like him were immortal by nature. Somewhere along the line, they did something to themselves that stripped away a basic part of being truly human, of being alive. Death. And yet along that same vein, all but Eric had managed death somehow. Why? I asked. Your mind is reeling. I felt a sudden tug and pressure on my head. I reached up and felt only my hair. But the tugging remained. You're trying to figure out why I remain if others chose to end their immortality. Events were set in motion hundreds of years ago, events of which you do not yet know. I am the last. 
I would have chosen death long ago had it not been for my duty to the long plan. In surviving, I have only brought more guilt and suffering upon myself. I manipulated other nanetics, kept them from ending their lives once we figured out it was possible. I feared being alone, so I manipulated nanetics for my own uses. The tucking shark been for a second. I manipulated them. We lived and built this place purposefully, so I could not retire. How many times I have wanted to. I felt intense grief and sorrow, though as if it were coming from outside my being. I married a few times. Started more than one family. I watched the first time, as those I care for grew old. My wife would die, and so I had to die. And I would watch as my children, long believing their father dead, grew old and died. And then their children, their grandchildren, until I could no longer keep track of them. Only three times did I do this to myself, all three times wishing I could let myself go, each time realizing as more minds joined my own that I alone must see this plan through. The first was the hardest. I lied to her then, you know. She sent her nanites away, bidding them let her have her peace, her peace of humanity. I lied. I told her we would both go together, that the plan would live without me, that I could join her. But I knew better. A crescendo of sadness began welling within me. I changed my appearance, my countenance, to match hers as she aged. Every day I lied to her. Even as she lay dying, I tenderly holding her frail hand. Shakily, I caressed her face. And I told her, I'll be with you soon, Amy, dear. My love, my life. I lied to her on her deathbed. My forked tongue spewed lies and more lies. Except for one that I told softly, even as she took her last breath. I love you more than I ever did, or ever will, anyone else. My throat felt as if it were closed, sadness and self-hate nodding it so. But I'm still here, ever the sentinel. I still feel, but my feelings are as much a dull knife from being so abused over the years. I know my burden, my lot, and accepted it then. In ways I 
did die that day, I suppose. His eyes were wide with sorrow and contemplation. Slowly he turned his gaze toward me, fear finding its way into those eyes as he said to me, You must accept your part and play it out as well. The tugging on my head faded. I collapsed forward over my knees, grief overwhelming me, shaking from a sort of emotional exhaustion. Eric said not a word, but simply leaned forward across the coffee table, putting one hand on my shoulder while hanging my water in front of me with the other. I grasped it as if it were a lifeline amidst my sudden ocean of despair. Slowly I composed myself, drawing on the water for strength. Ask, Eric said finally, his hand leaving me as he leaned back into his chair. My mind again raced, latching onto something. It was you, wasn't it? The man who pioneered synthetic organs? Like we know today. Ones that don't degrade or wear down with use. You did it to try and keep members of your family alive longer. Guilt, acceptance, frustration, all those played across Eric's face as he nodded his response. What happened that made you Nanitics immortal? It couldn't have been intentional. The best I've been able to piece together is that it was an early attempt by chaos to prolong the conflict and give him more chances to come out on top. I believe he found a way to program the nanites to alter the telomeres on the end of cell chromosomes. Such telomeres serve as a sort of protective cap on DNA and generally shorten as people grow older. Ours didn't, Eric said. But Nanetic still died, I commented. Just as always, once you wear an Nanetic's internal supply of nanites down far enough, the hive takes those rem that remain offline as a means of self-preservation. At that point, an anitic is simply a normal human with extra internal dead weight, Eric said. So then, your kind figured out how to force their nanites to go dormant? I asked. Yep. After decades of trying, we figured out the proper mindset and meditation techniques to directly and intentionally commune with our symbiote hives. From there, it was just a matter of negotiation with the hive. Eric began to look bone-tired. I have to ask, then, how did you manipulate the other nanetics? I again felt a tug on my head. Remember, I was an early casualty after James and Meng sacrificed themselves, said a voice in my head as Eric said aloud, Remember. Melinda was an early casualty after James and Meng sacrificed themselves. So Eric gained my power, planting a thought that requires action as as easy as reading one, the voice added in my head as Eric said, so I gained her power, planting a thought that requires action as as easy as reading one. The message was clear. Eric had planted the desire into his fellow Nanitic's heads, that they wanted to stay alive. Eventually they figured out, didn't they? I asked. Yes. And as easy as it is to plant a thought, it is impossible, at least by me, to strip away and destroy a genuine one, the feminine voice said as Eric said, yes. 
and as easy it is as it is to plant a thought, it is impossible, at least by me, to strip away and destroy a genuine one. I sat silent for a moment, contemplating Eric's situation. How he could daily, for decades on end, get up and knowingly live life as the last of his kind. When did the last nanitic die? I asked, other than Laura and Hank. Eric looked at me grimly. In his eyes was recognition that such questions had to be asked. Most left us over 300 years ago, shortly after we discovered the necessary method to hibernate the nanites. Didn't hurt the settler facade for less of us to be around. As I said, I manipulated the others into staying. Then my question, Eric, I said, once again returns to why me? Why now? He exhaled slowly, looking very, very tired and completely the age he presented. Someone had to know and had to start getting the word out once more. I am not long here anymore. This life is all but used up, and so I need a way to protect the legacy I carry within me he said wearily. My mind turned over the various meanings behind Eric's statement. What would happen once his plan, whatever it may be, came to fruition? Would he pass into the ether? I'm sorry to involve you in this, James, Eric said. Sometimes, though, the universe takes away our ability to choose our own future. My mind still swam with wonders and unasked questions. I am... Um, I don't know what to say, Eric. I know. And I'm sorry to saddle you with such a burden as this as well. It is bad enough that I have carried it so long. I simply haven't a choice. Something I came to know about things Eric said was that more often than not they had a double entendre. And suddenly, something told me such was the case. Eric, I don't think I like where this is going, I said. I really don't give a damn whether you like it or not, Eric said. It once more seemed as if a light directly over Eric's head had been dimmed, his familiar features taking on a grim appearance. Had I the choice in this, what is about to transpire wouldn't, but has happened before the dominoes are falling and cannot be stopped. That was chapter 24, Immortal. Chapter 25, The Turning Tide of Desperation. Chaos, we can't sustain our presence worldwide, the man was saying, pounding on what passed for Chaos's desk these days. Chaos sat calmly, his eyes closed. So many minds in there now. His reprogramming had worked, granting him the minds and semblances of powers of all those antics who had died so far in the war. But so much information. All of those minds wanting an active presence, all of them wanting a voice, all of them trying to give active input every second of every day. He shook his head, clearing it momentarily. Beavers and ducks! 
Chaos exclaimed, pounding his desk as he stood up. The man, frightened by the speed of his movement, confused by the words, fell silent. Chaos blinked a few times. He looked around his office at his other sub-commanders. He could read their fear, see it in their eyes. Fear of him. If he would kill Jessica in such a way as he had, then he could do worse to any of them. Damn her for bringing back that code from James, Chaos thought to himself. His people were loyal, but now they questioned him. He could see that questioning in their eyes right now. They had worked so much better as a cohesive unit when they were all under his direct control. No matter. His master plan could still work. He slowly walked over to the situation table. Even he noticed how light suddenly appeared dim around him. His powers were growing, as he had foreseen. He motioned them all around the table. He reached out for a pointer, it coming to his hand. We are losing too much ground, Chaos began. You, he said, you tell me that basically we're stretched too thin. I call it field officers giving up too soon. They all bristled slightly. It was concealed except from Chaos. Their reactions, their thoughts, were plain as words on a page to him even now. Many of you may agree that we are spread thin, that we should withdraw to stronger positions. I tell you, it won't matter. A corner has been turned, he added, nostrils flaring. He passed his gaze once more over every face. Some stood tall, pride in their eyes. Others showed discomfort at his penetrating glare at his penetrating gaze. "'It's grass on a pear-tree to moon otherwise,' Chaos said matter-of-factly. He paused, feeling something was off. His mind roiled, thoughts coming too quick even to be noticed. Round him he saw a confusion. He tried to repeat himself. "'It's apples and oranges to think cars!' He blinked, snapping his gaze around the room. "'What is this?' he thought he thought. He couldn't be sure. Thoughts were flowing around him too quickly all of a sudden. He thought he saw movement in dark corners of the room. There shouldn't be dark corners here. Not with the lighting in this infernal place, he thought. He felt his mind twinge as if it had a muscle spasm. He grasped his head. English toffee, he almost whispered, surprised. No, that wasn't right either, he thought from afar. What's going on? It seemed someone else whispered in his mind. More movement in the encroaching darkness. He looked around, seeing nothing. Even behind and between his sub-commanders, he swore he saw movement. Sir, the man said, are you all right? Television radio, some tires, chaos spat. He began looking around to worried faces. His pulse quickened, his lips suddenly dry. He licked at them randomly. Something nothing's flitted around the room just past his ability to see. He had to dart his eyes about quicker, very quickly, to even try and catch them. Sir, another of his sub-commanders said, leaning onto the table and into his field of vision. Her face flashed. Suddenly it was Aaron staring at him accusingly. You're failing us, he said in Chaos's heads. His lips not sinking properly. Chaos closed his eyes, shaking his head. When he again opened them, all the faces around him were of people who had died. And behind them, a multitude more of the same. All of them staring at Chaos, mumbling incoherently. His pulse quickened even more. He stumbled backwards, falling, failing to catch himself on the desk. They all moved toward him. The live ones and the dead ones, all of them leaning over them. 
You're failing us. They chimed in a raucous atonal chorus. It was painfully untimed. Scooting up against the front of his desk, Chaos screamed aloud. Oh! He tried craning his head away from them. Aaron crouched down and leaned inward toward Chaos. We can make you strong enough if you dare. Aaron's voice once more failed to match the movement of the face's lips, but this message came through with vile sincerity. The noise of all those voices, it hurt. I am failing, Chaos thought. My plans are falling apart. James and Meg have the momentum now. I cannot fail. His heart still racing, breathing still erratic, still randomly licking his lips. He flitted his eyes around the room. Chaos began to regain some of his composure about his anchoring thought. I cannot fail. Aaron reached a hand toward Chaos. Touch my hand, and we will help you, the disembodied voice of Aaron said from his face, the lips still not sinking. A hand was coming closer. Chaos knew he had to do whatever it took. His was the true path, not the TDF's. He reached out and met the now-paused hand of Aaron. As he touched it, Aaron's face disappeared, replaced by a woman's. It was contorted in pain and agony. Her eyes went wide. A scream began to escape her mouth, but was muffled by what seemed a swarm of fruit flies. They poured outward from all over her body, tearing through clothes and skin. Chaos simply stared in wonderment, unable to fathom what was coming of this. The multitude nodded their approval, though. The fruit fly-like things swarmed into a cloud around chaos as the woman's eyes rolled back in her head, her body slumping to the ground. He could feel them all around him. Nanites. Slowly they began integrating themselves with him, merging with their new host. The others in the room stepped back. The man's face was once more his as he knelt over the woman's form. He felt for a pulse, his fingers seeking too deeply into her neck. Chaos cocked his head inquisitively at this. Gah! the man exclaimed as he jumped up, his fingers wet with plasma. He snapped his gaze accusingly at Chaos. What did you do? he demanded. Chaos lifted his arms, feeling as though he were doing so in a dream. In childlike mimicry, Chaos began humping, pardon me, humming. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. As he turned his arms over and back, gazing along them as the last of the nanites found homes. He looked up at the man. All of his sub-commanders were back now, the multitude still in back of them in the encroaching shadows. Don't get away before you can complete this, came the, cora, the cor, chorus's voice. We must act quickly. Shut the door. Finish them all. Chaos reached out, the multitude separating as he swung the heavy metal door shut. He let Aaron's consciousness hold it close. Chaos, what are you doing? The man demanded anew. He's getting so annoying, Chaos sighed the man, reaching his arm toward him. The man's eyes grew wide as what seemed like fruit flies began to pop through his uniform and stream toward Chaos. The multitude of shadowy figures grinned. Chaos grinned. His sub-commanders freaked out, running at the door, trying to get out. 
but Aaron held the door firmly closed. The man was now twitching, his head lolling back as the stream of nanites became very dense. As they thinned, his body crumpled to the floor. Chaos pulled himself to standing, feeling new power course through him. His body, already supersaturated from nanites from being a progenitor, was now becoming overloaded with them. He knew soon he would be able to draw directly on ambient power, pull energy from radio waves, sound waves, anything that could displace matter. Closing his eyes, he felt all such waves causing minute ripples throughout his body. When he again opened his eyes, his pupils were a deep onyx black. Someone, probably Zay Lewis, was banging on the door from the other side. It's plus that failed. Chaos said both aloud and mentally to his subcommanders, his voice echoing about their small room. They all clutched their heads. Oh, it lasts because of failure. He continued stalking toward them. But you. He reached out toward them, their nanites flowing into him. The man lying dead on the floor now joined the multitude and led them in a diabolical chortle. Chaos's smile grew wider yet. One by one, his sub-commanders fell motionless to the floor. As the nanites joined his, he felt it. Power flowed into him. Not just that of their nanites, but from everything around him. It all flowed into him, nothing escaping his presence. Now you can win, Aaron said over Chaos's right shoulder. Make them pay for what they did to you. Jessica said over his left at the same time. Moving toward the door, he shoved bodies out of his way with a simple twitch of his foot. The external pounding on the door had stopped. As Chaos opened the door, the last of the free-floating nanites found homes. Lewis, seeing Chaos, stumbled backward and fell into his desk chair. Chaos could read him perfectly now. His powers, thanks to the excess of nanite wealth within him, were amplified at extremum. Nothing diffamous, said, his voice sounding as a dark cough in a chorus. You are night and never see After a pause, Cass continued. We leave. The TDF approaches and will breach the lines protecting us. I'd rather not engage them here. Where is our next nearest base? The information popped into Lewis's mind. As he mumbled, unable to form the thoughts into words, the screams that had been coming out of Chaos's office still echoed in his mind, not to mention the terribly loud laughing he heard, diabolical increasing with the level of screams. Hidden in the woods near Bastogne, Lewis barely managed. Chaos closed his eyes, slowly inhaling and exhaling deeply. Lewis's fear was delicious to him. As Chaos opened his eyes, Lewis jumped up from his chair, flying backward further into the office's corner. Chaos's eyes were now entirely onyx black, seeming to lack any distinguishing characteristics. No whites, no irises, no pupils. There were simply space-black orbs sitting within Chaos's eyes' sockets. He appeared to turn them, looking around. But there was nothing which would with which to judge such movement. Not even the room around chaos was reflected in his eyes. What did this say about him when eyes were said to be mirrors to the soul? Lewis still felt it when chaos's eyes locked onto him. Let us go. 
As I drive, you will inform all my commanders and leads to meet us at Bastogne. I must talk with them about their new position in my plans. Once they are all on their way, you will send out instructions to their NCOs. They are to initiate Plan Omega. But, sir, Lewis objected, the sound catching in his throat. That's... Yes, Lewis. That's the order for the end game strategy. They will fade back into Earth's population. Even if I succeed now, Chaos said, seeing the two train stations Magma surely have seen for some time, I will need a political base. They will provide this for me, and so even if I will fail, it will still be there. And when you, Chaos added, his eyes seeming to take sharper focus on Lewis, can use them as needed. What, what about the final stand you outline in Omega? There can only be one historically fitting place. We go to the house of the goddess of victory. After we meet all the rest of my elite. Only my highest commanders will be exempt from these last meetings. Lewis looked past Chaos into his office. Chaos understood his motion. Correcting himself, he said, The next highest of my commanders. Those failed me for the last time. Let us go. Arm the base's explosives. The TDF will find nothing here but a crater. Lewis obeyed as Chaos headed toward the motor pool's garage. All at once, the voices in his head spoke to him. You now have what you need to win, they said. We can defeat them all. It was hard to focus, but only slightly. Chaos's new sense of power drove him onward and through the choral confusion of voices. He could not be stopped by such petty things as confusion. His officers and elite, save a select few, would provide him godlike power. He would be nearly unstoppable. With so many nanites flowing through him, he understood that no weapon would touch his flesh. The nanites, so many of them, would take any measure of damage. No other nanitic had yet melded with so many nanites. More than a multitude, chaos was now symbiotic with an infinitude of them. And with so many, with his new ability to directly draw power from the air, he could amplify any power he possessed. Jessica's would do nicely. He dipped into it more now. Light shrank from around him, seeming to fall into a black hole. Every step he took produced dead spots on the ground, grass left singed as though burned. Chaos mounted an armored transport, starting it as he saw Lewis running from the building with a sat tab under one arm. Chaos gestured toward the passenger door, which obediently opened. The darkness comes, he thought as Lewis climbed in. Passing the base's gates, he gazed the future. At one train station, there was a bright flash, and then nothing. I guess even now my foresight is imperfect, he thought dismissively. And that was chapter 25, The Turning Tide of Desperation. I apologize if you listen to this particular podcast late at night or right before bed. Anyway, thank you again for listening to the podcast. I promise not all of the rest of the chapters going forward are going to be this dark 
and dismal and uh, perhaps even uh, 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 depressing. I promise. They, they will have happy moments in them. Trust me, the story turns out well. I know. I've been there. I've read it. But in the meantime, thank you again for tuning in week after week. Please, if you're enjoying this podcast, link up with me on my social media. Link up with me on Facebook, on Twitter. My information is out there on narclaninc.com. Share this with a friend, a family member, somebody you know. Help me spread this podcast. Help me get more of a listener base. That would be the best way you could support me right now, and I would appreciate that so, so very much. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming back week after week, and I will see you again next week. Thank you.